In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we read in the scripture the famous passage of the paralyzed man who was brought by his four friends uh, to Christ, who was teaching in the house, and the house was so crowded that they couldn't find a way to get in, so they went up on the roof, and they made a, a way to lower him down in the presence of Christ, and Christ then first forgave him his sins, and then healed the man's paralysis. And the scripture says that Christ healed the man based on the faith of his four friends. So you have the situation where you have these four people who believed so intently that Christ could heal their friend, that they were willing to embarrass themselves, they were willing to bypass this large crowd and even make a hole in the roof to, to bring down to bring his their friend down in the midst of Christ. And they did all this believing that this man would benefit, that Christ could actually heal him. It's difficult for us as believers sometimes to bring people to Christ the way that these four did, specifically when these people are suffering, and these people may be ill, these people have some kind of a physical ailment or some other uh, problem that they have, some suffering that they're facing. Um, and this is exactly what these friends did. So we can kind of look at this story in a, in a symbolic way, and we say, how is it and what is our responsibility to bring suffering people to Christ? How can we bring those who are suffering to Christ? And what is the opportunity that we might have when, when we are presented with a situation that we know someone maybe who is not a Christian, but is going through a lot of suffering? How do we bring this person to Christ? This is actually an opportunity for us. It is usually in the situation where someone is going through some extreme problem that is beyond their ability to resolve and fix on their own, that they're willing to look for other options. You know, it's usually the case that whenever everything is going well in our lives and we're happy with the way things are, we're not willing to make major changes. We're not willing to sacrifice things. We're not willing, why would somebody um, maybe want to make this journey of accepting Christ, of changing their religion, of you know, uh, sacrificing something else of their own, unless they feel that there is a real need? And while we all know and we believe that we have a real need, all of us have a, a real need, regardless of whether we have physical suffering in the world or not, we have the need of salvation because there is no way for us to be saved. There is no way for us to go to heaven. There is no way for us to be reconciled to God apart from the work of Jesus Christ in us. And so while this need of salvation is real and immediate and the most you know, great need that we all have, for those who do not believe in the spiritual, and for those who do not believe in the invisible, for them, they don't see this need. They don't feel this need. They don't recognize their need of salvation. They don't understand what their sin has done to them. They don't understand their status in the eyes of God. Those people who do not believe in Him and are separated from Him. So if God were to allow a physical need, if God were to allow something that is more visible, something more apparent, something that cannot be denied, something that even these people who even, let's say that they're atheists, and do not believe in God, would begin to feel that they have some kind of a need and they're willing to open their mind to possibilities of help beyond maybe what they have been looking for in the past. This is one of the reasons that God allows suffering. This is one of the reasons He allows it, is to allow us to be more willing to accept Him, be more willing to recognize Him and to reach out to Him and to pray to Him. Very few people are converted to Christianity based completely on theological grounds, based completely on evidence and proofs and you know, logical arguments. And I'm not saying that this doesn't help, 
and I'm not saying that there aren't people that have genuine theological issues or trying to, to, to you know, prove to them or show evidence to them that God exists. But most people, most people are going to be more touched by an experience that they would have with God in a time of need. Just as this paralyzed man, when they brought him to Christ and Christ uh, forgave him his sins and then healed him of his paralysis. It was an experience that he had with Christ and it was based on the faith of the four friends that brought him uh, to Christ. So we have to ask this question is how do we evangelize to people who are suffering? Where do we start? The first step to speaking to anyone, to evangelizing to anyone, whether they are suffering or not, is that we have to understand their worldview. Where are they coming from? What is it that they believe? So that when we speak to them, we don't speak to them with our language, but we speak to them with their language. If we come and speak to them with our language, they're not going to understand our language. You know, if you, if you start going to someone who's atheist, and the first thing you talk about is the sacraments and the liturgy and church history and ecumenical councils and the stuff that we like to talk about, those kinds of things are going to have no impact on this person and it's going to turn them off. Well, I don't, I'm not looking for a history lesson. I'm not looking for you to come and tell me some historical stuff that doesn't make any impact on me. So the first thing we have to understand is what is their need? What is their view of the world? How, what is it the thing that they really feel like, like, like is, is impactful to them? And then we speak to them about what is necessary for them specifically. This paralyzed man, he needed to be healed of his paralysis. So his four friends, based on their faith, believing that Christ could heal, said, let's take you to Christ who can do what? Who can give you a history lesson? Let's take you to Christ who can, you know, uh, do some other miracles that is not really what you need. No, let's take you to Christ who can heal you of your par paralysis, right? So when we're speaking to other people about the church, we have to understand what is their need? What is the thing that is lacking? And how is it that Christ can fill that lack, fill that emptiness, fill that void in them? And then we focus on those things. We focus on those things. Colossians chapter 4, it says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, meaning like the unbelievers, those who are outside the church. Redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each one. Each one, we might have a different approach, right? And I'm not trying to say that church history is not important. And I'm trying to say that ecumenical councils are not important. All of those things are very important and they are necessary. And we must present them to whoever it is is going to come and join the church. But the question is, is when do we present it and how do we present it? This is not something we come and lead with it. It's not we come say from the very first time I come and see you, I'm going to start speaking to you about these things, right? Again, what is the worldview? Part of understanding the worldview of others is to understand our own worldview specifically in the context of how is it that we deal with suffering, okay? And we take this for granted, maybe, especially those of us who have grown up as Orthodox Christians. We have already programmed into us a worldview that helps us to deal with suffering, that, that, that immediately kicks in whenever there is some kind of suffering. And we take for granted that others do not have this, that others do not have the kind of hope that we might have when we experience suffering. Others do not have this kind of hope. Okay, so what, are, what is it? So first we have to understand what is our worldview? What is it that I, as a Christian, lean on, rely on? What is it that I immediately comfort myself with whenever I am going through some kind of suffering? 
So first, we believe that there is a God, and we believe that He created us, and that He created us with a purpose. So first off, we believe that we have a, a purpose. We have something that we are here to do. We are not senseless. We are not meaningless. We are not random. There is, there is a function that we do. That in itself helps to keep us grounded in God because we believe that this world, even with all its challenges, even with all its difficulties, that I still have a place in it, that I still have a function in it, that God has, has given me something to do here. And that ending my life or, or, or thinking that my life has no value or no meaning is wrong. Because God has, has told me so. He has told me that, that not only did He create me, but He created me with a purpose. Also, we believe that God loves us. That He is not simply a distant creator that created us kind of in this like passionless way. He, he created us with, with joy. When he created Adam and Eve, he said what? That they were very good. He was pleased with them and he is pleased with us. Also, we believe that he died for us. He sacrificed himself. That's how much he loved us. That's how much he loves us is he died for us. He sacrificed himself in our place because he wants us. He wants us to be with him. And then he asks us to live a certain way. And he asks us to live a certain way, not because he wants to boss us around, he asks us to live in a certain way because He wants us to be with Him. Because He wants us to be pure and to be holy so we can be united with Him who is pure and holy. Right? He, he wants to be united with us and we cannot be united with Him if, if we are living in a lifestyle in a way that is completely contrary to Him. Also, we believe in eternal life. So we believe that regardless of what kind of suffering we might experience here in the world, it is not going to last forever. Also, we believe that our lives do not end at death and actually our lives begin at death. What we call death is really the beginning of life. This is what we believe. So whenever I go through some kind of suffering, I am consoled even subconsciously without even thinking about it because I believe in these things. Okay. So we are affected by our worldview. We are affected. When we go through some kind of suffering, when we begin to have some kind of doubts, when we begin to, you know, maybe even uh, doubt God's goodness or doubt, or, or doubt God's existence or doubt whatever it is that we doubt, immediately we are reminded of all of these things, all of these things that are a part of the Christian worldview. And this affects our understanding of who we are. It helps us to understand why suffering exists, that suffering, even though God did not create suffering, but he uses it for our good. So it makes us to feel like there is some is value even in suffering that there is something good that I can get out of suffering. Even though I don't like suffering, even though suffering is painful, but there is something good that God can give to me out of this suffering. It also affects the way that I respond to suffering. For instance, we are taught that whenever we go through suffering, that we are, in, you know, we thank God. Thank you, God, for everything. What, what feels good and what doesn't feel good. Because even those things that do not feel good is for my benefit. And this is out of God's love to me, that he loves me so much that he transforms even things that are painful into things that are for my own good. Also, our Christian worldview, it, it teaches us how do we respond when we suffer? What are the, the tools that we have to help us to go through suffering? First of all, we pray. We ask God to be with us in the midst of suffering. And it helps us to feel that God is with us. That God's presence is accompanying us to feel the comfort of his presence with us and that there is someone I can talk to. So many people who go through suffering 
feel like I can't talk to anybody and nobody understands. And you know what? A lot of times it's true. There are some people that go through some kinds of sufferings that are so unique and are so difficult that nobody around them can truly understand how they're feeling. Not because they don't care, not because they don't want to understand, but they can never really put themselves in the place of that suffering person to say, you know what, I understand what you're going through. But God cannot, but, but, but you can't say that about God. God understands and God suffered more than any of us in a kind of suffering that is beyond comprehension. And so he can sympathize with every single person who is suffering. And when we go to God and we tell him about our sufferings, he understands and he is present and he does not leave us. All these things affect our response and how we deal with suffering. <clears throat> also, we have the scriptures, the Bible that we go to as a place to receive comfort from God, as a place to remind ourselves of what is the purpose of suffering. We can read about the suffering of others that, that they went through and how God saved them from the suffering and how God had function and purpose for the suffering and how they came out of it stronger than they came into it. Also, based on this, we can encourage one another as a church, as the body of Christ. Our role is here as a body to encourage one another. There, we, none of us should be isolated. None of us should have no one to go to. We should have someone we can go to and get comfort from them. We remind people of the goodness of God. We remind each other of the purposes of suffering. We remind each other and get us to be focused on that there is hope, that there is hope. This is not the end. There is hope and we can get through the suffering and we encourage one another together. Okay. So this idea of hope, this idea of of all these things that, that we have, all these tools that we have to help us through suffering is extremely, extremely important. Extremely important. This is what allows us to go through suffering victoriously. Not as feeling as victims, but feeling as victors over the, the suffering that we go through, all based on our worldview. But when you look at the atheist worldview, the atheist worldview. What does the Bible say about this? St. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says what? But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Speaking about the kind of suffering where we sorrow for those who have passed, we sorrow for those who have departed, the kind of sorrow that those have that believe that at death we, we extinguish, we disappear, we vanish, we are no more, we no longer cease to exist. He says here what, that those are what? People who sorrow as, uh, as though they have no hope. They have no hope. They have no hope of being reunited with their loved ones. They have no hope of seeing these people again. And ultimately when we acknowledge the reality, that whether we have a life full of suffering or a life full of rejoicing, a life full of poverty or a life full of riches or whatever the status of our life, we all end up in the same place, which is death. Something that cannot be escaped. Something that cannot be, uh, there's no detour around it. So ultimately, we will all go through this kind of suffering and many of us maybe have experienced suffering of those people that we love. But here what St. Paul is reminding us that we who believe that Jesus died and rose from the get dead, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And we look forward to this. We have hope in this. We have hope because of the existence of God. But what does it say about the atheist? Those who do not believe. It says what? 
I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So again, why are we speaking about this? Our worldview, the way we see the world, the way we see existence, is extremely different from the world that non-believers see. So when we are thinking now about, I'm going to go evangelize, I'm going to go tell people that do not believe in God to believe in Him. Like I said, if you have this mindset, if you have this atheistic mindset, you don't want to hear about ecumenical councils. You don't want to hear about church history. You want to hear about hope. Give me hope. Give me something. Give me something that I can hold on to. Something that changes my, my worldview. Something that makes me feel different. Something that makes me feel like there is hope in this world and there is something I can cling to. That there is something that, that is, is better and higher. That this world is not as um, dark as I see it to be. And this is what we should offer. We should offer this light of Christ. And this is what we should always be in our mind. Ephesians 4.18, what does it say about this atheistic worldview? It says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So it says their understanding is darkened. They don't understand. They don't understand why we are here. They don't understand what does it mean to be alive. What are we should be doing and why did God create us? Being alienated from the life of God. All the good things that God has created for us to enjoy. The spiritual depth that God has created for us to enjoy. They are alienated from it because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. They do not see. This does not mean that they are evil. This does not mean that they intend on evil. This means that they are in darkness that they cannot see. And our job is to bring the light to them. Our job is to bring the light to them. So we have to understand the worldview of non-believers. We have to understand the feelings that they're feeling. We have to understand the perspective of the world. And this is going to help us. One of the ways that we can you know, gain some insight and understanding into how they're thinking and how they see the world is by looking at their actions. Okay, what is the actions? For instance, when you see people committing euthanasia, euthanasia, killing people that are going through pain because they want to be killed, again, it tells us something about them, how they see the world. When we see them cremating their bodies, it says something about how they see the world. Their bodies are not going to exist for forever. Their bodies are not going to be resurrected. For us, we bury the, the dead because we believe that God is going to raise our bodies again from the dead. It says something. It says something about our worldview. Okay. Also, when you look at some of the quotations, some of the things that they say, there is a, uh, an atheist woman, her name is Annie Dillard. <clears throat> and this is what she says. She's like an atheist philosopher. This is what she says. Even if things are as bad as they could possibly be and as meaningless, then matters of truth are themselves indifferent. We may as well please our sensibilities and with as much spirit as we can muster, go out with a buck and a wing. This is what she says. And it reveals to us a lot again about the atheist worldview. First of all, they believe that life is meaningless. There is no meaning in life. Imagine if we believed that, they, that life had no meaning. We would have no desire to live a certain lifestyle. We, everything, is, everything is open. I, if, if life was meaningless, if I believed that life was meaningless, and there was nothing after this life, then I would just indulge myself in whatever I could while I had the time. There would be no reason for me to keep myself from certain things. There would be no reason for me to, you know, stop myself from doing certain things. I would do whatever feels good to me. 
And this is the world that we live in. If we look at the world that we live in, we could very easily categorize it as a world that's defined by the principle, do whatever feels good. And we can now understand why this is. If I don't believe that there is um, <clears throat> that there's a certain standard that God is wanting me to live to for the purpose, for, for my own goodness, for my own good, to be united with Him, then what's the purpose of what's the purpose of what I'm doing? That's why, like the world looks at Christianity and says, you, "Why are you guys limiting yourself? Why why are you why are you living according to a certain doctrine or a certain set of rules?" Also, it says, "What matters of truth are themselves indifferent. Truth doesn't matter. What is the point of truth?" All that matters is feeling. All that matters is, is how I feel. It doesn't matter what is objectively true, what is not. Truth has been destroyed in our society. There is no concept of truth. It used to be a long time ago that people would differ on opinion. You know, I have a different opinion than you. That's fine. Today, we differ on fact. We can't even agree on what the facts are. If you watch the news, people can't even agree on the same set of facts and then form opinions on those facts. That's not what happens. People can't even agree on the facts themselves. Nobody, you can't even find out what is actually true. Everyone is presenting it in a different way. And in the end, who is it that, that decides what is true or not? No one is reporting in a way that actually gives you any kind of confidence that, that, that we even know what the truth is or that there is such a thing as truth anymore. This is what it's saying. Matters of truth are themselves indifferent. doesn't matter. This is the atheist worldview. We may as well please our sensibilities. That's what she said. Right? Indulge, please yourself, pleasure yourself. All that matters is that. Because there's nothing else after this except cold, dark nothingness. Cold, dark nothingness. If you believe that you are headed to cold, dark nothingness, then what you do now doesn't really matter at all. You might as well enjoy it. You might as well enjoy it. We eat and drink today, for tomorrow we die. This is, this is the mantra of people that have this belief. Okay? And the last thing, what? Go out with a buck and a wing, meaning go out big. You know, go out with, you know, with fireworks. Because when you go out, you're never going to come back. When you go out, you're never going to have a single moment of consciousness again. And there is nothing that you can do to change that. And I went on this website trying to see how atheists have purpose, feel like they have some kind of purpose. What brings them joy? And so many of them said something similar, which is essentially what? That we only really began to have peace with this once they realized and accepted the fact that there is nothing after this world. Like a lot of them said it was difficult wrestling with the idea that, that their life was going to end and there was going to be nothing after this world and they only really began to have some kind of peace when they came to terms with this and accepted it. Accepted that this was the, the truth. That this is what was going to happen. What a cold dark reality to believe that. What motivation do we have to do any good? What motivation do we have to follow any kind of standard of life? What motivation do we have to, um, to be encouraged during times of suffering? To love our enemy? To serve one another? To do any kind of good for another instead of being completely self-focused when I believe that in a, in a few years I'm going to be completely extinguished. I'm going to be completely gone forever. Ephesians 4.19, it says what? Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Again, as she said, please our sensibilities. I'm just going to enjoy myself to the maximum, to the utmost, because that's all I have, all I can do. The only kind of joy that I can have in my life is what I can get for myself now. 
because there is no joy after this. And so you see that there is a sense of hopelessness in the message. There's a, a resignation to death. There's a resignation to darkness. There's no real hope. So again, I'll go back to look how starkly different the worldview is between the Christian and between the atheist, between the person who believes in God and the person who does not believe in God. So again, when we go to people who do not believe, they do not have hope. The thing that they need is hope. That is what they need. They need to experience hope. So how do we evangelize to them? The first point, how we evangelize is we have to have joy. We have to have joy. In James chapter 1, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. If we as Christians are not joyful, we cannot reach anyone. Right? Because we're coming to them and saying, Hey, we have a message of good hope. We have a, the good news message. We have the message where we are going to live forever with Christ and, 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 and Christ, He sacrificed Himself for us and all this stuff that we say. But if we look like them and we act like them and we're dis in despair like them and we're depressed like them and everything we do is hopeless, then when they look at us and say, well, what, what are you really offering again? What are you really giving me again? What are you telling me again that your faith has that I would want? If you are just a desperate mess and you're just like in despair as much as I am and you're living in darkness as much as I am and you're like sinning as much as I am and you're doing everything as I am but then you say oh but I go to church and I believe in eternal life is that the message is that the Christian message that we are trying to send to others around us in order for us to really reach anyone it's it goes deeper than what we say it's what we do it's our attitude it's our mentality right we have to give a message of hope, not just saying, oh, because we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We have a message of we live hope. We are living in hope, which doesn't mean that we don't have sadness sometimes. It doesn't mean that we don't mourn sometimes, but it means what ultimately I do not fall into despair or darkness because I have hope, even though I have suffering now, even though I have trials now, even though I have these things now, ultimately I have hope. I have hope that these are going to end one day. I have hope in Christ. I have hope in Him that He has not abandoned me. I have hope in Him that He is going to bring me out of this. I have hope in Him that regardless of the amount of suffering in this world, that there is another life after this with no suffering. And I live according to that hope. If I don't have that hope, then I certainly cannot preach a message of hope to other people. Another way to evangelize to people who are suffering something that's very essential is that I have to listen. I have to listen. In Proverbs 18.13, it says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. If we begin talking before we listen, then it is folly and shame. Sometimes what we do when we want to speak to somebody about God or the church is we already have like a pre-memorized little spiel that we're going to go to them and be like, one, two, three, four, five. This is, this is what we're offering. This is what we have. This is the church. This is this and this without really thinking beforehand or listening beforehand to what is this person, what is their objection? What is it that they have against God or against the church? Why is it that they do not believe? Why have they rejected this message? What is their life have been like? What have they gone through that made them to be this way? So we have to listen to what they have to say. And to listen to what they have to say, meaning we have to be available to listen. Right? We have to be available. We have to, if we really care about someone, we have to be available to them to hear from them what it is that they have to say. Also, we have to respect their beliefs. 
You know, sometimes it's hard for us to understand what does it mean to respect the belief of someone that's different than ours. Respect. It doesn't mean we agree. Respect and agree are different things. I respect another person's belief, meaning that I'm not mocking it or insulting it or ridiculing it. I give them a chance to speak. I give them a chance to say what they believe just as I want them to hear what I have to say. We also have to respect their suffering. Respect whatever suffering they're going. Not downplay it, not minimize it. You know, not just, you know, I see someone going through some extreme suffering and just be like, you know what, if you're a Christian, you wouldn't even, that wouldn't even bother you. No. Obviously, we as Christians are bothered by many things. Okay? We don't simplify the message or make it sound like Christianity is just like this, uh, you know, this magical pill that you take and suddenly everything feels good in your life. That's not what it is. We have to be realistic. But we have to listen to what the people have to say. Also, we have to make a personal connection. If we really want to touch someone's life, if we really want to bring someone to the truth, we have to make a personal correct con uh, connection. Proverbs 17, 17, it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Meaning, if I truly am a friend to this person, if I truly care about this person, then I am there for them even in the midst of adversity, respecting them, showing them maybe by my own actions what it is that I believe, but not mocking them for what they believe. The best kind of evangelism is one that is personal. It's not pamphlets or brochures or anything like that. We do these things because we want to grab, grab people's attention. But ultimately, the place where there is real evangelism, the place where there is real speaking about God is personal. It's one-on-one, -on -one, answering to people's questions, showing our love to them, caring about them, investing time in them. And it should be a genuine connection. Genuine. We don't make relationships with people because we want to convert them to Christianity. That's not the reason to have relationship. Relationship is a genuine relationship because we have love for people. And as a part of that, maybe they can be converted. Maybe they can see our love and change what they believe because what they see in us is so great that they want that greatness. Which again, like we said with joy, if we want them to believe that what we offer them is good, then we have to have joy in ourselves. We, we are just, we are joyful. We're joyful because we have, we have God in our lives. And so when they see that joy, they also want the same. This also means that because, because a personal connection is so important, it doesn't mean that we're going to develop a relationship based on the idea of conversion, right? Our relationship with them is based on friendship. Our relationship with them is based on love. It doesn't mean that the very first words out of our mouth are going to be about like, hey, why don't you, uh, you know, look at this and read this and do that. Like, our goal is to be you know, make this personal connection with them. And during that time of us knowing them, all these things will come out. Every, we'll have the opportunity to do all of that. But, but we shouldn't, again, be trying to make a relationship just for the sake of conversion. The last point I want to speak about, about evangelism to those people who are suffering, is that we have to find a common ground. We have to find a common ground. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So one of the best ways to evangelize to people is to make them realize we're not that different than you. We go through the same sufferings as you. We go through the same doubts as you. We have our own failings and sins and weaknesses as you and share some of those things. You know, It doesn't have to be in, in a lot of detail, but just to make them realize like we are not some kind of superhumans. 
We, we, are, we are not any better than you. The only thing that we have that you don't have is the presence of Christ. So it is not because we are better. It's because Christ is better. It's because Christ has, has, has given us a message of hope and we are coming and we want to share it with you. Not because I'm coming to judge your behavior, judge your actions, judge anything that we are doing. We are tempted. We, are, we, we have doubts. We have all of these things as well. We have to make them realize that Christians have all those things. But we have hope. Back to the Christian worldview. We have hope. We have someone we can talk to whenever we suffer. We have a Bible that teaches us about God. We have the church that allows us to partake of the sacraments and grow in God. We have all of these things. We have eternal life. That's why we have hope. Not because we are inherently stronger people. Not because we are holy and righteous people. But because God has offered all this to us and we have accepted this free gift that God has given us. And so we invite you also to accept this free gift. So in conclusion, we have to understand when we are going to evangelize to suffering people, when we are going to bring them to Christ, the same way that these four friends brought their friend to Christ who was paralyzed, that we have to understand where they're coming from. We have to understand their worldview. We have to understand the things that they lack so that when we come and we offer it to them and we speak to them about what we have, we offer them the right thing. We offer them what's really missing in their life and not what we think we need to give them, but what they actually need. Also, we have to develop a relationship with them. It is not simply, you know, here, take this and, and this and my, you know, five points of what I'm supposed to say to each person and that's it. No, I have to develop a real relationship with those people. That's the only way that I can really successfully bring them to Christ. And we have to speak about ourselves, that we are not maybe what they think we are. Just as we might have a wrong perception on their worldview, which is why we have to be careful to listen to them and understand where they're coming from. They also might have a wrong perception of our worldview. They have a wrong perception of who we are, what we represent, who Christ is. So many people, they think that Christianity is all about judgment and, and, and exclusivity and we are better than others and um, you know things like that. We have to show them that's not true. That's a misperception. That's a wrong perception of what they, what they have been told or what they have seen. So may God grant us the ability to bring people to Christ and see the unique opportunity there is in those who suffer and that God might be allowing suffering for them as a stepping stone, as a way to bring them. Because when we feel completely self-satisfied and lacking in nothing, it's very difficult for us to go to God. But maybe a person who has been a non-believer their entire life, when they are going through suffering, maybe for the first time, they would be willing to accept a different option. They would be willing to accept something that maybe they have rejected in the past and then God is allowing this to give us that opportunity that we should seize and take and, and take action on. And glory be to God forever. Amen.